happen now. Man, I'm so stinking happy to be here today. Um, it is. I, I really am. I'm so honored. When, when my dad asked me to uh, come and speak at Experience Conference, it was the craziest thing because it's, it's really weird uh, growing up with your hero as your dad. I don't know if you guys have ever had that opportunity, but growing up, my dad is my hero. He's doing everything that I've dreamed of doing, and it's so cool when you get a call from your hero to say, will you speak at the Experience Conference? Um, but like he said, uh, today is for every single person in this room, including the current forerunners. Man, I'm so stinking pumped to be here. If you guys are here uh, to check out Forerunner School, I just want to say uh, I grew up in the family of Forerunners like my whole life, and so um, I totally know like exactly what it entails, and I just want to let you know you're going to get tired, you're going to get exhausted, but it's going to be some of the greatest times of your life. And I have seen more champions, more incredible men and women of God come from this program. Pure men and women of God come from this program than any other thing. I believe in it so much. That's why I'm so pumped to launch Dallas because I can't wait to be a part, really a part. I've always been a part, but really a part of what God's doing in this program. Well... You have to be kind of patient with me this morning because I'm really used to uh, preaching to junior hires. And so I need you guys to like really talk back to me because if they, if I don't get them to where they talk back to me, they either fall asleep because junior hires only have two levels. They're either screaming or they're sleeping. And so I have to keep them engaged the entire time. In fact, the first night, first night in youth, I haven't been in youth ministry long, but the first night as a youth pastor, um, I end my service thinking that I've done a really good job, right? And so, and I get done, I actually preach this sermon. And so, I get done, uh, but it was changed a little bit. I get done, and I look at, um, I look at the other youth pastor that's in there, and I'm like, man, service went awesome. And he goes, yeah, but uh, we have a couple issues. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And we walk back. Apparently, during my service, because it was so powerful, the power of God had come over them in such a mighty way that they had crawled up into the bathroom ceiling, two, three boys, three or four boys, and crawled over into the girls' bathroom and fallen through. And so that's what I'm dealing with. I love junior hires. I love them. And so I, I absolutely love it, though. Um, but, man, I'm so excited. It's so cool to be able to preach with, like, my three biggest fans in the room. And that's my dad, my mom, and uh, my beautiful, gorgeous, for the first time I can actually say this, and it's not sin, sexy wife. It's awesome because I can do that now. I got married like a month ago, and so it's all new. And so um, I'm kind of announcing it to everyone. In fact, I tell all my junior hires that she's pregnant. It's a fun game that I play. She hates it. But anyway, um, so um, anyway, um, this morning, all of you got the hello, my name is John tag. This comes from junior high ministry, but I promise you that if you'll catch the heart of what's about to happen in this room, it will impact you in a powerful way. So today, I know it sounds cheesy, I know it sounds monotonous, but when I say, hold up, who are you? I need you to talk back to me. Can you just say, hello, my name is John, on three. One, two, three. Hello, my name is John. Every time I say, who are you? I need you to say, 
Hello, my name is John. So I'm in junior high uh, ministry and uh, uh, it's so crazy because God really put me in this spot as a junior high pastor, I think for a special reason. And that was because my junior high years were the most awkward time of my life. And so for those of you who had awkward junior high years, you know that it is not fun to be a fat junior higher. It just is not fun. And so, like, I'm talking, it was the most awkward, awkward, awkward time of my life. And I played, um, I played football, like, all throughout school. And so um, I just never forget um, this one time. Uh, some of you I may have told you, but uh, this one time, I mean, I was this overzealous, like, pumped-up seventh grader, but I was, like, really, really fat like really fat and so uh but i got up there to play football and uh i was so pumped so excited sat the bench like the whole game and so it's halftime and we're running inside for halftime and uh all of a sudden i mean i'm pumped i'm like headbutting people i haven't even gotten in the game but of course my dad and like the rest of the forerunners like screaming my name i'm like dad chill out like i'm not in the game like stop it's, it's embarrassing and so all of a sudden i'm so pumped and i'm running inside and all of a sudden I trip. Okay. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, this was not a normal trip. This trip was insane. Like, right when I'm crossing the track, you know how, like, tracks are raised a little bit? So I trip on this track. It would have been bad enough that I face-planted in front of the entire crowd of this 6A school. But not only did I face-plant, but I face-planted right into the back of a cheerleader. So as this cheerleader's going down, I'm thinking, this is it, this is the end of my life, I'm done, this is awful. And this cheerleader hits another cheerleader. Before I know it, it's like cheerleading dominoes going straight down the track. It was crazy. And so I tell you that to say that there are awkward moments in your life and there are times where you don't believe in yourself. See, after that moment, I thought to myself, man, I'm a, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm never going to get a girlfriend, I'm never going to have any more friends after this, the whole crowd's laughing at me, I've lost my entire reputation. But you know what the cool thing was is, that night when I got home, my father, my dad, obviously loves me so much, brought me in, and never once throughout my junior high years did he not refer to me as champion. And the cool thing was, is over the years of junior high, as I morphed into who I was in high school, that name that my father continually called me, that name that he continually bore into me, champion, began to take root in my soul and my spirit. And I began to believe that I was a champion. I began to believe of who I was. And see, I think some of you in this room tonight need to remember what your father calls you. I think some of you in this room tonight need to remember what your father thinks about you. Because, man, if you'll let it take root in your soul, then it will become real. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Whoa, whoa, wait. Who are you? Hello, my name is John. Cool. Open up your Bibles today to Luke 1, verse 11 through 20. It says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. When he saw him, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Wait, wait, wait. Who are you? 
Hello, my name is John. Um, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And mother's going to be speaking in tongues in the womb. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. If for those of you who don't know, Elijah raised people from the dead and called down fire from heaven. This mug's going to be insane. So he'll prepare the people for the coming Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Who are you? Hello, my name is John. So Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. See, this is where Zachariah messes up. See, this is an angel from the Lord. Can you imagine just sitting in your living room all of a sudden, boom, Gabriel comes straight through the ceiling and he's looking straight to you eye to eye. And he looks at you and said, your wife will bore a son and you are to name him John. Can you imagine like watching this whole thing and being like, how do I know this is real? It's like, are you serious? Are you serious? Gabriel himself just came down to give a message from the Lord. So it goes on to say, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. He's getting coggy now like he's ticked. This angel is ticked. Now I can imagine angels are big old dudes, so you don't want to tick them off. But it says, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. See, sometimes God has to shut us up so he can be heard. See, that was a moment where Zechariah could have had this crazy, awesome faith and God could have used him. But all of a sudden he said, is this even real? See, sometimes in the biggest movements of God, in the biggest, in the biggest crazy things that are going on, being here at this church, whatever church you're from, even in forerunner school, even in forerunner school, where you're seeing powerful moves of God, where you're seeing these incredible things take place on a weekly basis, where you're seeing these phenomenal outpourings of the Holy Spirit and people are getting healed, people are getting touched, scars are getting taken away. Even in the midst of that, sometimes faith can fail you. Or rather, you can fail faith. It's crazy how things like that can happen. See, wait, wait, wait. Who are you? Let's keep reading. In Luke chapter 1, verse 57, it says, When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came to the circumcision ceremony. Hello. How many of you glad we don't do that anymore? They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, his name is John. Wait, wait, who are you? What they exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. And that was like crazy in Bible days. And it says, so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Remember, because Zechariah couldn't speak. He was silenced by the angel. And it says, he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. 
This is a powerful, powerful verse. And the reason that we need to realize it is the Holy Spirit was already in John when he was born. So here's the deal. You guys know like Beethoven was a prodigy. Beethoven was this musical prodigy that, at, at, you know, as he was growing up, he already knew music, writing music, crazy stuff. There are people who are prodigies. Justin Bieber, a prodigy. I feel like I have seven of them in my youth group, and none of the girls can focus when they're in there. And so, Justin Bieber was a prodigy, though. The music, everything, everything he had inside of him, it was natural. It clicked. But get this. Because John... The Holy Spirit was already inside of him. And the word prodigy actually means a person, especially a child or young person, having extraordinary talent or ability. So I would venture to say that John was a biblical prodigy. He was a Holy Spirit prodigy because even before he was born, the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of him. A child having extraordinary ability, the Holy Spirit was working through John. At that young of an age. It's so funny because, like, I eventually, even though you guys might not believe it now, um, I did play college football. Even after those awkward years, I made it. And it's so funny because there were people in my grade that, like in 7th and 8th grade, that were insanely good at football. They were like five foot eleven, six foot, which seventh and eighth grade, that's huge. And so they were like insanely good. And I'm still like five, five, probably weighed twice as much of them, half the muscle, just an awful, awful situation. And so I was the type of guy who like would get hit and then apologize. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that sad? Like, I got hit, and then I would apologize because I was so scared of these monsters in seventh grade. They were huge. And so these guys were what I would consider football prodigies. That wasn't me. But here's the crazy thing, is that some of us need to realize that the moment we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were reborn in that Holy Spirit. We were reborn, and all of a sudden we become a child of God with extraordinary ability. So I would venture to say the moment you accepted Jesus, you became a prodigy. You became something special. See, in the same way that John was born with the Holy Spirit already inside of him, you were born with the Holy Spirit, reborn with the Holy Spirit inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm going to be like seven foot tall. I'm going to be able to dunk on everybody. It's going to be crazy. I'm going to be like Quentin because he's black. So God made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing. Our true home, our resurrection bodies, the Spirit of God, whets our appetite by giving up taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven. I love this. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never... Settle for less. See, once you get a taste of Jesus, nothing else will ever be enough. You see, John was called for a purpose. And this is what's so cool about this message is I spoke this to my junior hires. And as I was praying, I really felt God say that this message was for you. 
that this message was for upcoming forerunner, that this message was for forerunner, because John was a forerunner. See, forerunner means something that precedes and indicates the approach of something or someone. Now, here's what's so cool about that. I was a college football player, right? I played fullback. I used to weigh like 60 pounds heavier. That was the good weight in college. But I played college uh, fullback. Now, the cool thing about playing fullback is that you get to kill people. It's the funnest position ever. But the bad thing about playing fullback is there is absolutely no glory. You get... No touchdowns unless your offense is run that way. Ours wasn't probably a good thing. And so you get no glory, though, because your purpose as a fullback, you have a halfback right behind you. Your purpose as a fullback is to plow through the defensive line and punch right in the chest that linebacker that is trying to kill the halfback that is running behind you. Now, here's the coolest thing in the world, though, as I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm thinking about how does a fullback pertain to this? Here's the cool thing is that some of us act like a terrible fullback and we're really, really, really good at coming through the line and giving that linebacker a solid pop in the head. We're really, really good. And that's what I was good at in college is I could hit. But man, I was not a blocker. Because here's the deal. As a fullback, you can hit as hard as you want to. You can knock the guy on the ground. But I can promise you that the enemy, that other team, is going to be relentless enough to get back up and come after that halfback. So here's what I'm saying to you. As a fullback, your job is not only to give the enemy a pop in the mouth, but to hold on to that enemy and continue to be relentless against him. Because I can promise you in your Christian walk, it doesn't matter if you hit the enemy as hard as you can. It doesn't matter if you have a solid Wednesday night service. It doesn't matter if you're in here going after God for a Sunday morning service and setting the example. It doesn't matter if your students love Jesus. It doesn't matter. That does matter. But it doesn't matter if your students are in here for a one-time event and they're just up and up and down. It doesn't matter that we had a move of God last night if you're not relentless in your pursuit to continue blocking that enemy. Because that halfback is coming fast. And here's what I've noticed about a halfback is that they're a lot faster than the fullback. And sometimes you can get in the way of what God's doing because you're not moving fast enough. And here's what's so cool about a really good halfback is he will relocate himself to another hole. And here's what I've come to tell you today is some of you have the call of God on your life. But if you do not accept this call of God, that halfback, Jesus Christ, who is running behind you and saying, please prepare the way for me so that I can move upon your students, so that I can move upon the life that I want you to have. He's saying, if you do not do what I'm asking you, I will relocate myself to someone who will. See, I'm talking about being a forerunner. It was John the Baptist's job to prepare the way. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. See, some of you, 
need to realize that the day you begin to do the will of God may not be when you step on the platform, but rather when you start crying out in your wilderness. Because I can promise you that God will trust you on the platform if you are faithful in crying out to Him in the tough times. And some of you may have walked into this room today. And I know it's early. I know it's early. I hate mornings. I force myself to get up and take some sort of pre-workout before I get up and go work out because I have no energy. But I am challenging you this morning to take what is being said. Hold on, hold on. Who are you? Some of us have to start crying out in the wilderness. So what are you doing in your wilderness? I bet John talked to himself. You know what I mean? Like I bet John, think about it, he's out there alone in the wilderness. Can you imagine that being raised? He's a weird dude. We'll talk about some of that in just a second. But can you imagine, man, if I was out there alone, I'd be talking to myself all the time. I already talk to myself. Adrian, my wife, she talks to herself more than anyone I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I really do. I talk to myself. I talk to myself. And that's, that's, that's a weird thing, right? But I can promise you that if you'll start talking, even though you don't think God's hearing, He will talk back. And I just so happen to believe that the only possible way that John could have not gone crazy out in the wilderness alone is if he had a personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no way... That he lasted out there that long. It's not psychologically right to be alone that, that long. Scientists have proven you need social interaction. He proved this system wrong with this powerful relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. And so it was John's, it was John's job. It was John's job to prepare the way. I can tell you the greatest uh, things that I've done as a youth pastor have happened outside the pulpit. And some not even in the church. I can tell you that um, some of the greatest ministry I've ever seen has happened on the streets and not in the church. I can tell you some of the greatest moments in people's life have happened outside of these church walls. Now I'm not speaking against the church. This is the house of God. This is where we come to worship as a body and amazing things happen. But I can tell you that in your wilderness time is when God begins to use you. There was a moment when we were coming back from camp and uh, I took, me and Adrian, we went to Mexico for our honeymoon. Hallelujah. Yes, honeymoon. Anyway, so we went to Mexico for our honeymoon and uh, we got back and one week later we had to take our kids to camp. And so like these junior hires, like, gosh, I love them, but I hate them at the same time. Like I could kill them. And so we're on the way back from camp, and we went to Galveston. For you guys probably, I don't know if you know, but we live in Dallas. Galveston's about four and a half, five hours away. But with a bus full of junior hires, it takes literally about six years to get back. And so we're, we're on our way back from Galveston. We have little or no sleep in our system. And so I'm mad. The other youth pastor's mad. Our bus driver is probably cussing at the front of the bus because of the amount of disruptive nonsense that our junior hires are doing in the back. And all of a sudden, one of my junior hires screams out, we've got to get monsters at the next bus stop. 
And I just think in my mind, there's no way I'm letting this student pick up a monster. This, this student has literally been hanging over the side of the seat for the last two hours. And so I'm like, there's no way I'm letting him. And I look at him. I said, no. I said, there is no way I'm letting you get energy drinks. I will check you at the door. And he goes, well, I'm putting it inside my pants. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so we stop at the store. There's nothing you can do if you're not a youth pastor and you didn't know that, if he puts it inside his pants. Otherwise, you're going to jail. So, so, so he gets on. They have these monsters. They're going crazy, like stupid crazy. Like if their parents were there, they would give up. And so, like, um, and so they're going crazy. And all of a sudden, Adrian is so good about doing this. She is the best. She looks over at me and says, Nate, you need to handle that. And so as we look back and there's students and there's one of my students who God love him. He is just weird and he is weird and I, he is angry and he's always mad and he's always got a problem. He's always in a fight. And I look back and he is literally strangling one of our students. And I look back and I, I had this moment where I'm like, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this will shut them up. And then sense came to my mind and I thought, no, I have to stop this. And so I went back there and I pulled them apart and I said, what's the problem? I'm just angry. And I go, what's the problem? It's like 11 o'clock at night. We've been driving for what seems like 32 years. And so all of a sudden I look over and I said, what's the problem? And the student goes, he's humming and he won't stop. And I go, are you serious? That's it. And he goes, yes, he keeps singing to me. And I go, okay, this student, I've had enough. I'm done. He threatened the other youth pastor at camp. He laid down, spread out four chairs during one of our camp services and just took a nap. It was awful. Like this kid, I had had enough. Stinking love him. All of a sudden, I sit down on the bus. And I said, I'm sitting right here. And I said, looked at the other student. I said, if you hum, I will kill you. I will kill you. And uh, I don't know if I said that. I probably should have. And so um, I sat down next to this student who was angry, though. And I looked at him. And I had a moment where I thought, I can get mad at him. I can get angry with him. I can go off on him. I can tell him, I can threaten him with his parents. And I realized something is this student is such a hurting kid. And I sat there and I said, man, my back hurts. And at that moment, it was like a a moment where I said, you know what? It doesn't matter what what he's doing right now. I'm just going to have a conversation with him. And he sat down and immediately when I didn't get on to him, he immediately shifted. It was like all the anger left him. And it was like the peace fell on that area. And I looked at him and I said, so talk to me. And I started talking to him. And for probably 15 minutes, I was dozing in and out, but I just listened to him. And he looked at me and he said, he said, man, Nate, like, or man, Pastor Nate, like, when I was little, like, my dad used to get drunk and then, like, drive me around and, like, I used to always be so scared, like, we'd get in the car, and he'd make me get in the car with him, and then, like, he'd drive me around, and then, like, I just knew that God was going to protect me, though. 
And I realized at that moment that there was a hurting teenager sitting here. And I had failed to realize that because we weren't inside of a church service, because we weren't inside of a move of God, because we weren't inside of a church, that I was still his youth pastor. And I looked at him and he started talking and he unloaded on him and I'm uh, unloaded on me. And it was this demeanor just shifted. And I tell you that to say, as I was driving home later that night, it was like 12 o'clock. Um, and uh, I'm in the car with my wife and my wife says, you know, I think he just needed someone to listen to him. And I think he's acting out because negative attention is better than no attention. And it was this powerful moment where I realized it does not matter what I do inside of the church if I'm not doing it outside of the church. It does not matter what I'm doing ministry inside the house of God if I'm not taking it to the people of God. If I'm not taking it to the people that need God. And so I come to you. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Who are you? See, we goes on in verse 4 in Matthew chapter 3 to say, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Coarse camel hair. He, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see him and hear John. And they confessed their sins. He baz- And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Let me describe this guy to you. This is some crazy dude. I imagine him having an afro. I know that he is Israeli, but I still think he had an afro. And so all of a sudden I look at him and he's this crazy mug. He's got this camel hair. For those of y'all that don't know, camel hair is nasty. Like that stuff hurts. I've never actually felt it, but I've heard about it. And so I can just imagine like they didn't have undershirts back then, you know, nipple chafing all day long in that mug. Yeah, you know what I mean? That is awful. Can you imagine how naturally angry this man was? So these people are coming throughout the woods, coming throughout the Judean hills, and all of a sudden this crazy dude with a belt and some camel fur jumps out and just screams at the top of his lungs, My nipples hurt, but I have a message that I need to tell you. And so he looks at him and he starts to preach the gospel and he had a purpose. He was a forerunner. And John the Baptist at that very moment would start speaking the word of God to these people. Wait, 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 wait. Who are you? It says in verse 7, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented in your sins and turned to God. See, he had the wilderness time to do that. And so don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones even now. The axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Whoa. He says, I baptize with water. This is where it gets really cool. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. 
so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. How many of you know the Lord is coming? So who will be the one to rise up and prepare the way? See, you were called to prepare the way. You were called to be a John. Who are you? You were called to be the preparer of the way. But the problem is, is some of us are thinking, Nate, I'm not worthy to be like John. I'm at, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know the little things. Nate, you know, I'm a forerunner. I'm a forerunner. And so immediately when you say I'm a forerunner, people look to you in a higher respect. Man, I'll be the first to tell you that even as a youth pastor, I'm not perfect. And some of us, it's so easy. Can you turn that up a little bit? It's so easy to come along with this mindset of a service of this is my time to minister. Not my time to get filled. And I know that feeling. I've had it more times than you can imagine as I'm standing there. And I'm looking at these people running to the altar and I'm thinking, that should be me right now. But I've got a platform. And so whenever, whenever I want to go, i got to set an example. But can I tell you that even in those times when God is molding you and when God is using you, it's still okay to cry out to Him. Because, see, here's the cool thing is, uh, I think some of us have forgotten our name. I think some of us have forgotten who we really are. See, Zechariah, back when John was going to be born, wanted to name him Zechariah. Because it was his father's name. It's what the world wanted to call him. But all of a sudden, angel of the Lord shows up and says, no, you will name him John. And when that worldly mentality of lack of faith tried to rise up and say, whoa, 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 I don't know, I don't know about this. The Lord silenced the enemy's mouth and said, no, if you will remember what I named you, I named you John. Sometimes it takes the Lord silencing the enemy for you to realize who you actually are. Because I'm telling you, the attack is strong. The attack is so strong. And some of you came in here with hurts. Some of you came in here with secret sin, man, that you just don't want to let go. And even if you want to let go, man, that's tough when everybody's looking. Man, that's tough when the person next to you, you've actually ministered to. Man, that's tough to realize that I'm still human even though God speaks through me. But in this room tonight, God wants to remind you that He had a name for you. And some of us have forgotten what that name is. See, some of us come in here and we're thinking, Oh my gosh, like, I can't, I can't even worship because of the things that are inside of me. I know that feeling. I can't even worship because of the things I've done. It's condemnation and it's not of God. It's not of God. So, wait, 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 wait. Who are you? See, you're right when you say, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to worship. You, you're not. 
Neither was John. It says in the Bible that no, not one man is perfect, not even one. John was not perfect. He had the Holy Spirit in him from the beginning and he still was not perfect. If you believe the Bible. He was not perfect even though the Holy Spirit indwells inside of him. So you know what that tells me is that it's possible to not be perfect and be a Christian. And so I'm telling you today that, hold on, who are you? That you're right, you're not worthy to carry his sandals. Just like John wasn't. But he still commissioned you to change lives. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says, Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Somebody say, fresh start. See, if I say it enough, you might begin to believe it. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons, for those of you like me that didn't know what that was, I looked it up, begins to grow. Your, old, or your new life begins to grow. It's a process. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with Himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what He is doing. We're Christ's representatives. Hold up. Who are you? We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ Himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. What do you think you are? See, I was at camp this last, like I told you a few, a few weeks ago, and my pastor said something that kind of rocked my world because Pastor Jim Hennessy is my, my pastor, I had to serve on his staff with, and he looked out in the crowd, and I'm supposed to be the spiritual one, right? Like I'm the youth pastor. And so he looks out to the crowd and he said, why is it that we think because we live in a Christian culture that we're Christians? Why is it that we replace Christianity with a Christian culture? You can know the Bible verses. You can be a forerunner. You can say the words from the Bible. You can proclaim the message of God. But man, if you don't know Him, if you don't know Him, I told one of my junior hires one time, I said, you not knowing God, but acting like you're a Christian, is like you coming over here and saying, Sally's my girlfriend. And you just know of her. But see, on the day that he comes to Sally in front of his friends and says, hey, girlfriend, and she says, I don't, I don't know you. You're, you're Phil? Phil? Nate, I'm your boyfriend. No, you're not. I know who you are, but... See, I don't want to get to heaven and be in this atmosphere of God all the time and be speaking who God is all the time and be showing who God is to everyone else and then all of a sudden be standing before Him and look at Him. And He says, 
know who you are. I tried to love you. I tried to be your friend. I still love you. But you don't know me. Some of us have forgotten who we are. The enemy likes to name you unworthy, guilty, and shameful. Maybe it's what happened to you in high school. Maybe it's what you did last week. Maybe it's what you did yesterday that's holding you back. Or maybe it's the words that someone has spoken over you. Stand all over this room. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's the hurts. Maybe it's what someone called you. See, I was lucky enough to have a father and a mother who called me champion. Every chance they got. And loved me through everything. But some of you didn't have that. I was lucky enough to always have someone in my life telling me I was great. But some of you didn't have that. And some of you made such huge mistakes. And even if you feel like you're forgiven, you still don't think you can be used by God. Because you're scarred. Like, I'm going to heaven, Nate, I think. But I can't lead anyone there. I'm just hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Can I tell you that in this room, There are a bunch of warriors that need to realize who God calls you. Can I tell you that He is here in this moment now? He is here. And He's here to tell you who you are. Some of you think, I'm what everyone else called me. But God's saying, don't. Don't you let the enemy call you Zachariah. Your name is John. Don't you let what the world calls you call you that. Your name is John. Don't you let what the world has affect who you are. Your name is John. Some of you need to realize. See, the powerful thing is that John was doing this ministry and... You think John had it all together, but all of a sudden, this is crazy, so get ready. Because you think John got it all together, but all of a sudden, it says that as Jesus came over that hill that day, the very man he had preached about, the very man he had spoken about, his cousin, the very blood running through his veins, he is looking at him and he immediately recognizes him. Because when you've got a relationship with God, you know when, you know when he's here. And he immediately recognizes Jesus coming over the hill and he sees him and he says, Behold the Son of God. And as Jesus approached him, he looks at him and he's coming closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, Jesus tells him, You're supposed to baptize me. And I think for a moment, John forgot who he was. Because he looked at him and said, No, 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 Jesus. You're supposed to baptize me. Hey, I'm not worthy to carry your sandals. I'm not worthy. And I think it was a moment where Jesus looked at him and said, Nobody is. But you were called for this today. 
nobody's worthy to carry my sandals, but you have to do this because it's what God is calling you to do. And man, I don't want you to be the fullback where the halfback has to bounce to another hole. So man, John, come on, cuz. You better baptize me because this is what God has called you to do. But the problem is, is if John wouldn't have realized that his name was John, and if he would have went off what the world thought about him as a weirdo in the wilderness, as someone who is not able, as someone who is not ready, as someone who is not perfect, man, he would have missed his moment. Lift your hands all over this room. Because I think some of us are about to get a realization of who God is. And about to get a realization of what God calls you. Because I know that some of us have been in this room and you've been thinking, who who does God think I am? Who does God think I am? Is God mad at me? Does He hate me? Is He ashamed of me? But when I say three, I want you to say, God, who am I to you? See, all John did was prepare the way, so I'm just preparing the way for Jesus to do a work. Right now, when I say three, and you better get ready because some of you haven't felt love like this. Some of you have not felt God like this in a long time, if ever. And you better get ready because I can promise you that the words of God are not condemning. And when you ask this, you better get ready for the love of God to hit your life. Because I believe He's going to say, beautiful one. I believe He's going to say, beloved, my daughter, my son, the one I will use, the one I will change, the one I will go and use all over this world, the forerunner who will change this world for me. But some of you think, man, my, my time has passed. I've done too much junk. He's about to rock your world. Because I promise no one is perfect. On the count of three, repeat after me. One, two, three. God, who am I? Music down. God, who am I to you? God, who am I to you? You'll start to love on you in such a powerful way. Even in this early morning, God will love on you and wrap you up and say, It doesn't matter what you did early on. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. But man, do I love you. Man, do I care about you. You are a champion. You are worth so much than you ever thought you were. When I was on that cross, I was thinking about you. 
was on that cross, I was thinking about you, about how great you were, about how much I was going to use you. I was in my prayer closet or a prayer room in, in Sagu one day. That's where I go to school. And uh, one day uh, I was really feeling this condemning feeling over just stupid stuff. And I felt like I couldn't press into God's presence. And all of a sudden, all it took is this powerful moment that I will treasure and hold on to for the rest of my life. I never told anybody about it. I don't think. And all of a sudden, I just felt God say, Man, I can't wait to dance with you. Man, I can't wait to dance with you in heaven when you get here. So you need to realize that the love of God is so strong that the moment you walk through those heavenly gates because He's got you in His hands, if you'll just let it go, that He just wants to dance with you. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. He just wants to take you by the hand and love on you. But the problem is, is there are still millions out there that don't know that. And you were called to be a John the Baptist of this generation to prepare the way for what God has in store. And so we are not done. Raise your hands and say, if you believe it, if you don't believe it, don't waste, don't waste your time. I can tell you that each and every person in this room has a calling on their life. Simply say, God, right now, show me who I am called to. Some of you are going to begin to realize what those feelings of love towards people are. Some of you are going to see family can jack you up. Because God has set in place a time for you to touch these people. Some of you are going to see teenagers. Some of you are going to see crowds. Some of you are going to see crowds and not even believe it. But man, it's true. If you'll just inhabit it. If you'll just inhabit it. Let's cry out to God right now.